You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8 in your Bibles, if you're able to remain standing for the reading of God's word. Be looking at the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 8. When he, that is Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. In verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons And he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses, and he bore our diseases. This, beloved, is God's holy word. Please be seated. As we have read, we are continuing in our study of the gospel of Matthew this morning, and we come to chapter 8 in this great history of redemption. Now, the last time we visited Matthew's gospel, Jesus had just finished his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, as you recall, was that description of a Christian man and a Christian woman, a description of their character and their conduct in the world. According to Jesus, Christians are to be those characterized by a poverty of spirit. Christians are to be those who are characterized by a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, 
a kind of meekness and humility. In short, according to Christ, Christians are those who become deeply convinced of their need for God and his rescuing grace. Furthermore, Christians, according to Christ, are those who take this otherworldly kind of character and don't just hoard it for themselves, but they go out into the world to be salt and light, to influence a world that is decaying because of sin and is dark because of sin. In short, they display a Christian ethic that honors the Lord and serves their neighbor. Now then, immediately after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew in chapter 8 records that when Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And this is no surprise because right after the Sermon on the Mount, we, Matthew records that they were astonished at his teaching. After Jesus finished his sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so the crowds begin to swell. And here Matthew says, a great crowd, great crowds followed him. And so this is the scene. The Sermon on the Mount is finished. The character and conduct of a Christian has been preached by Christ. And now the rabbi, the Messiah King, is coming down from the mountain. And what happens next in our text this morning in Matthew chapter 8 is nothing short of breathtaking. What does Jesus do with his newfound popularity? What does he do with the swelling crowds? He's got them in the palm of his hands. Does he cash in his authority for social influence? Does he demand certain luxuries like every other king of that day? Does he use his power and authority to dominate people? To oppress them? No. He begins to display the very conduct or very contents of his sermon. He begins to display the character and the conduct of this heavenly kingdom by healing three individuals that nobody else cared about. Each of these three healings in our text have one thing in common. Each of those who receive the healing of Christ have one thing in common. The leper, the Gentile, and Peter's mother-in-law, a woman. All three people healed by Christ have been pushed to the fringes of society and dignity and value stripped of them. It's important for us to note that Matthew in his gospel is less interested in chronology, meaning he is less interested in the sequence of things, and Matthew is more interested in types and themes. We're going to continue to learn this as we move through the gospel of Matthew. He's less interested in chronology, and he's more interested in types and themes. And so Matthew pulls together these particular healings, these three in order to tell us something about the type of king that Jesus is. What does he do with the kind of influence he has? Matthew pulls these three particular healings together to reveal to the reader a major theme in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And here's the theme. Here's the theme that Matthew wants you to know. 
that it makes absolutely no difference to Jesus what society thinks of you. It makes absolutely no difference to Jesus where you were born. It makes absolutely no difference to Jesus how unclean you may feel or how unclean others perceive you to be. It makes absolutely no difference to Jesus your education or the nobility of your birth. But if you come to him by faith, you have a seat at his father's table. That's the theme that Matthew wants you to uncover in this section. If you come to him by faith, that is the only precondition. You have a seat at his father's table. The first of the three healings comes in verse one. If you need a map or an outline, it's just the three healings. So point one is healing number one and so forth. Very creative, I know. The first of the three healings comes in verse one, and perhaps it is the most remarkable. Look at verse one and two. When he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now Matthew begins with the healing of the leper because it is without question the most outcasted individual of the three. Even the Gentiles would stay clear of the lepers. Lepers were worse than dogs. They were ceremonially unclean, which means they couldn't go into the synagogues, they couldn't go into the temple to offer their sacrifice or offer their praise to God. They were socially outcasted. Anytime they would come near to someone, they would have to shout until their voices were hoarse that they were unclean. The only people they could hang around with were other lepers. And this is the first healing that Matthew wants to see in the entire Gospel of Matthew. This is the first one. It means something about the kind of king he is and the character of his kingdom. He wants you to see both the courage and the posture of the leper and he wants you to see the compassion and the authority of Jesus. So we'll go in that order. First, I want you to see the noteworthy courage of the leper. Not only is this leper pursuing Jesus for healing, but he is pursuing Jesus for healing amidst a huge crowd. This came at the highest possible risk to this leper. His eminent stoning is moments away. He is risking everything. He is all in on this attempt to get before Jesus. It is a remarkable display of courage. And the question for us is, where does that courage come from? I think the answer is probably obvious. This leper was desperate enough to become courageous. He was desperate enough 
to become courageous. You and I will do crazy things, won't we? When we come to find that we have no other hope for survival. As a family, you may judge me for this, I don't care, but as a family, we've been watching this show called Alone. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's pretty fascinating. They take random people that say they've got life survival skills and they drop them in the middle of nowhere with six items. And it's basically, see who starves to death first, right? And if you tap out, you're out. But the one that remains the longest in the wilderness survives. And one thing is true of all human nature, but it's potently true in this show, is you will do crazy things when you're desperate, when you're hungry. I mean, they're chewing up, you know, tree bark, and they're, 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 they're gobbling up these disgusting Bugs, all because they're desperate. Their hunger pains are overwhelming them, not because they're innately courageous, but because their desperation has produced in them a kind of courage where they're really willing to do crazy things. This is kind of like what's going on with this, hep- this leper. He is, he is convinced that Jesus is his only hope for survival. And so he knows that his imminent stoning is right on his heels, and yet he takes the risks And he comes to Jesus. So his courage is noteworthy, but his posture is doubly noteworthy. Notice he kneels before the Messiah. He kneels before Jesus. Clearly this man has come before the Lord with a humble reverence, understanding at least that Jesus is worthy of submission. Notice the posture of his body. And notice the posture of his heart in what he says. He has one carefully articulated sentence. He says, Lord, Corias, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In this statement, he is displaying both a confidence in the Lord's ability to heal him, you can make me clean, while at the same time he is submitted to the sovereign will of God, if you will. He doesn't presume upon the Messiah that healing is his best. In other words, just because Jesus can heal physical affliction, that doesn't mean a healing would be best for us. And so the leper carefully says, if this is in your good and wise will, if this is a a part of your sovereign will, you can make me clean. What amazing posture. What an example of prayer for God's own people. God, you're able, if you see that it's good for me, would you see this through? This man is betting everything. On Jesus. He is betting everything that Jesus is who he says he is because if this goes wrong, if this encounter goes sideways, he's done. More remarkable than the courage and the posture of the leper is Jesus' response. Look at verse 3 and following. And Jesus stretched out his hand 
and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him in verse 4, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Beloved, do not overlook the fact that Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. We know from the very next healing of the centurion servant that Jesus does not need to touch the ones he heals. Remember, it was the centurion that says, you don't even need to come to my house. If you say the word, it will be done. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus says the word and his servant is healed. So we know that Jesus can heal without touching. So what is he doing here? What does it mean that Jesus is being so intentional to reach out and touch this man and notice that he touches him before he announces his cleansing? Which means he touched his leprosy wounds. He didn't say be clean and once you're clean, then I'll touch you. No, he touched him and that's what made him clean. What kind of king is this? that he would come so near to the broken. By touching this man's leprosy, Jesus himself became ceremonially unclean by law. Who would come so near to the brokenhearted that he would bear our diseases? touch our wounds with his holy hands. Risk his own rejection so that we could be made clean. Beloved, in this, this little vignette, this little act, this little miracle is the center of the gospel. What do you think it was like for the leper? We don't know how long he had leprosy. Was it years? Was it decades? How long had it been before he had felt the, the hands of another touch him? And then immediately heal him to become an outcast no more. Notice with me, after the healing, Jesus is more interested. Jesus just gets more and more amazing the more you watch him. Jesus is more interested in this man going to the temple, which he was not allowed to go to his entire life that he had leprosy. Jesus is more interested in getting this guy into the temple so that this man can offer his praise to God than making a spectacle out of the healing. He says, don't go tell everybody. Don't make a spectacle out of this. Do what you are made to do. Worship God. And that'll be a proof to them. By faith, Jesus says, you have a seat at my Father's table. No preconditions other than that. From the outside brought to the inside. Well, that's the first healing. The second recipient of healing comes in verse 5 and following. Look at verse 5. 
And when he had entered Capernaum, that is Jesus, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, same same word, Corios, Lord, verse 6, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Now here in verse 5 and following is another unlikely candidate for healing. The man asking, the one making the request of Jesus is a Roman centurion. He is a Gentile Roman officer who has at least a hundred soldiers at his command under him. Roman soldiers who are at this very moment occupying Israel by force. That means that this man, this centurion, is public enemy number one. The leper, everyone wants to stay clear of. The Roman centurion, everyone wants to wring his neck. He's a Gentile. Abraham's blood does not flow through his veins. He is fundamentally an outsider. And he's commanding an army that's got their foot on the throat of Israel. And again, his desperate need produced in him courage, which would risk both his life and certainly his future in the Roman army. His desperate need produced courage to get to Jesus. And like the leper, he finds a willingness in this king, in this rabbi. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And then something surprising happens. Look again at verse eight and following. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Now listen to this. He marveled, and he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What a statement. Encouraging, yes, for the centurion, but a huge rebuke for those who call Israel home. Jesus just said that he has found more faith in a Roman Gentile centurion than those who are Jews by birth. In fact, look at what Jesus goes on. Look at verse 11 and following. I tell you, Jesus says, Many will come from east and west. In other words, many will come from outside of Israel and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, there are many that will come from outside of Israel that will have a seat at my father's table. And they'll dine with Abraham. Do you know him? Isaac, do you know him? And Jacob, the men of faith, the patriarchs of faith, those from outside of Israel will dine with them. While those inside of Israel, the sons of the kingdom, 
will be thrown into outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 13, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. What is Jesus saying to the centurion? Jesus is saying that the Gentile centurion is a clear example of justification by faith alone. Again, faith is the only precondition to dine in the kingdom of heaven. Not your noble birth, not your bloodline, not your geographic proclivity, not your social status, not your income, not even your clean moral living can grant you access, not even if Abraham's blood flows through your veins 100%. Only simple, desperate, childlike faith in Jesus Christ will grant you access to the Father's table. This is his second healing recorded in Matthew. Matthew is very interested in you and I appreciating the kind of Savior that he is. Outer darkness and separation from God come when we reject the free offer of rescue in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that one more time because it is the most consequential sentence I can say. Outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, separation from God comes when we reject the free offer of rescue in Jesus Christ. Being born in Israel can't save you. That's what Jesus is saying. Being born in America cannot save you. The fact that your aunt was a deacon in her church means nothing. Being born again only, being born again through faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to dine with the Father in glory. That is what Jesus is saying to the Gentile centurion and that's what he's saying to the rest of the watching world. I'm it. Faith in me. No other precondition. The centurion trusted in the word of Christ to heal his servant. It wasn't the centurion's faith in faith. It wasn't a faceless faith. It was a faith in Jesus Christ. The third and final healing comes in verse 14 and following. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Verse 15, he, Jesus, touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Then Matthew includes this in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. First a leper, then a Gentile, and now a woman. Peter's mother-in-law. Yes, the first pope was married. 
It's her, his mother-in-law. But the point is, she's a woman. You may know this, but in the first century Palestine, women were treated as second-class citizens. They were often considered to be mere property of their husbands. They could not own land. Even their testimony in a court of law was thrown out on the account simply because they were women. And here, like many other places in the gospel, you don't have to read far to see Jesus going out of his way to dismiss and defy the cultural norms regarding women. It is absolutely clear that Jesus saw the mistreatment of women in Israel appalling and unconscionable because of their equal status and image bearing as men. Jesus saw it as appalling then and he sees it as appalling now. And so unprompted by anyone. Now this is the only of the three healings that's unprompted. The leper goes and kneels before God, pleads his case. The Roman centurion, same thing. Lord, would you have mercy on me? But here recorded is Peter's mother-in-law is just lying sick. But it's Jesus who takes the initiative and goes to her. And like he could have just said the word for the, the centurion's servant, he doesn't. He reaches out and he touches her hand. Why does he do that? Why does he go out of his way here and throughout the rest of the Gospels to dignify women? In Jesus' own theology and anthropology, there is no difference in dignity and value between men and women. The Apostle Paul would pick this up in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. The Apostle Paul would say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so Jesus goes out of his way to dignify those who have been pushed to the fringes of society. No, 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 I don't care. I can care less how this culture has treated you. You're mine. I created you. I get to say who you are. You are cleansed and I'm gonna to touch your wounds, leper. I'm gonna be so near to your brokenness. I'm gonna be so proximate to you that I can see you, I can hear you, and I can feel you. That's the kind of Messiah that I am. And yes, take, give me the Gentile centurion, those who are outside of Israel, Israel's bloodline. Yes, I have never seen so much faith in Israel than in this Gentile. And then Jesus goes out of his way to dignify and value a woman in a culture that had devalued her. This is the point of these three healings, isn't it? Paul's words in Galatians, that if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Jesus came to show that no matter who you are or where you've been or what blood flows through your veins or how unclean you may feel or how unclean you are perceived to be, by faith in Jesus Christ, you can have a seat at his Father's table. Matthew concludes this section with a quotation from Isaiah chapter 53. This is, comes in verse 17. 
as we conclude. Matthew says, this was to fulfill. These healings was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Beloved, this is at the very center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the second member of the Holy Trinity, of the triune God, entered our suffering. He did not come and distance himself from our suffering. He entered our world and our suffering. He took our illness. He bore our diseases. He carried our sorrows. That's what the prophet Isaiah said the Messiah would do. And now we reflect 2,000 years ago on what he did do. But we, the prophet says, we esteemed him smitten, stricken by God and afflicted. We did not see him as he was. The blindness caused by our own sin caused us to not appreciate that the Messiah had visited, had entered our plight. But despite our blindness, Christ pressed on. The prophet says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us shalom, peace. And by his wounds we are what? Healed. Just like the leper. Healed by Christ. He took our wounds and gave us his cleansing. So what about you this morning? What about you? We're at the beginning of a new year. It's a good time for reflection. What about you this morning? How are you feeling? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about Jesus? Is Christ distant from you? Do you feel distant? Do you feel this morning that you need maybe some other qualification some other achievement in life, some level of success, some threshold that you need to, to cross in, in order for you to come to Jesus with full abandonment. This text tells you, my friends, that the only precondition is that you come with, to him with desperate faith. What makes you courageous? You're convinced that you're desperate for him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's been said before, the problem is not that we're empty. The problem is that we're too full of other things. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst, who are, have a poverty of spirit. They know they need Jesus. That will create courage, courage in you to abandon sin, to turn the other way, to be humble, to be humiliated even by your failings. What gives you courage to be humiliated? Desperate faith in Jesus Christ and a knowledge that he accepts all who come to him by faith. Are we desperate enough to risk everything to fall at the feet of Christ and plead for healing? May God grant that kind of desperation in us for his glory and our joy. Let me pray. Father, would you grant what you command?
would you send your spirit to comfort those who are afflicted this morning, who have feel very much like the leper and the Gentile and the woman that have been pushed, forgotten, marginalized, unheard. God, would you give in them a, a sense of deep comfort and confidence that you, Jesus, are the type of king that is for people like that. And you don't use your authority and power to dominate. You use your authority and power to pull people up. You use your power and authority to cleanse us all from unrighteousness. Oh, Lord, grant us courage in light of this text. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.